everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. And we're live. How are you doing, Frank? Hey, how are you, Noah? Hi, everybody. Welcome to Everyman BJJ. Um, I'm Frank Forza, Noah Green. So, Noah, we were talking about... Um, I know you had some topics, the parable of priorities you wanted to talk about. You and I have been talking a lot about finances lately. Uh, I've talked about the difference between yellow jackets and honeybees and bumblebees because we have a we have a yellow jacket nest that's here in the garden where I normally want to film. You were telling me some things that I could do to improve the lighting right now where I am. Um, the spot that I wanted to record at, that's... Yellow Jackets have literally taken that over, and uh, I just did a video on my YouTube channel, Frank Forza, about um, like an eight-minute video describing. I mean, this is what's interesting, though. So before we get to other stuff, I wanted to talk about who knows to the to the viewers out there, to the audience. Um, I do want to talk about Evan Dunham. We haven't talked about that Evan Dunham, the UFC fighter uh, who I've trained with since 2009, closed his gym there in Henderson, Nevada, right outside of Las Vegas. Jim was thriving. COVID-19 happens. Numbers are down. Big surprise. That's closed. I want to, you know, talk about that, say a thank you to Evan. Um, and, you know, we've got Frankie Edgar. We can talk about Frankie Edgar, the comeback kid. Henzo Gracie fighting under the Henzo Gracie banner. Um, and I have, a, I have a Frankie Edgar story. I have a couple of Frankie Edgar stories, things that come to mind. He's a great person to talk about, to carry over for sort of what I call the life jitsu, the art of life, like how all of this martial arts, jujitsu stuff applies and carries over to life. He is just a poster boy for a lot of things. But um, yeah, I want to talk really quick about these yellow jackets. So that's where I wanted to be filming. So earlier today, um, I, I, I had a couple of chairs and I took the chairs near their nest, like literally like a foot or a foot and a half from their nest. They're kind of buried under these logs, like these tree, these, these wood logs. And I, I don't know why. Usually I see them darting in and out of there. They dart in like, they're not like honeybees. Honeybees kind of chill and they're lazy and they circle things and then they land on the plant and then they circle. Uh, yellow jackets are very sleek and very lean and they just dart almost like airplanes at an airport just landing. just And they just keep coming into their hive and land and land and land. So I've seen them do that. I was st I was stung a few weeks ago by one in my finger, and and I, and I don't know why I'm not scared. I've been stung by a bee before, so I wasn't scared of it. So anyway, I went to put the chairs there to set up some filming, and bro, they came at me so hardcore. They came at me so hardcore. One of them, you know, chased me all the way over here, so like twelve yards. And I have my hands full with a computer and, you know, oh, like, and my, my notepads and, and whatever. So I'm like, I'm not able to like really swap, you know, um, really swipe at them. So one of them got me on the ear. No big deal. Right. He got me planted on my ear, stung me in the ear. And anyway, about four hours after I put that chair there, right. Cause I was going to sit there and I was like, I'll just leave the chair because I, I moved as much as I could away from them. But I'm like, I don't want to go back and get another chair because they were kind of fired up about it. Four hours later, no, the chair is still there in front of their hive. They're still circling the chair like an invader is there. Like there's like 50 of them still at the ready. Wow. They're circling the chair like it's uh, like it's an invader. 
they don't know the difference, right? They, all they know is a chair is too close to their hive. Just fascinating to watch the behavior. And, you know, and again, those of us that who confuse a honeybee and a bumblebee from a yellow jacket and very similar looking, but completely different behavior. It's just interesting to look in like zoology and nature and see you can have something that looks very similar, but the behavior honeybees are actually very gentle unless you really provoke them. And of course they die. A honeybee dies upon the sting, right? It usually <clears throat> has that stinger near its abdomen. And once it stings you, it's good for one sting. And then it's pretty much there's a high probability it dies. Yellow jackets have a stinger where it's just like they can keep they get they can put a bunch of stings together. Just in, anyway, interesting. That's at the top of my mind. So long story short, that's why I'm here and I have the less than ideal. Life. Well, I you know, I think that I, I was just commenting. I think that wood door behind you, the weathered yeah. look that and, and with the plant there, I think that looks yeah, I think that looks fantastic, man. I think that's a better spot for you. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic spot there. If if that if that log is on your uh, you know on that prop on that same property, then property owner is kind of responsible for that uh, for that situation there. By the way, um, not that I'm giving legal advice. I'm not a lawyer, but uh, I'll just say that uh, I you know I was reading books about. Um, I had a big yard in Texas and, and I got curious about things like beehives, you know, uh, and re legal responsibilities of them. And, um, because I had a beehive in my yard, in my backyard and it was, on, it's on a tee box. Uh, the house is on a tee box of a golf course, but, um, I had huge garden, um, and, and I had, it's called the square foot gardening. You can look it up. Uh, and literally you take a, like a three by three or four by four square, um, put in some, um, um, put in some material and you put little 12 by 12 squares and you could plant, you could make an intensive little garden in just a few square feet. And I had that and I, then I got crazy. I'm like, well, I, I want, um, I want bees. So I went and I placed an order for a package of 10,000 bees and a, and a, um, and a queen. So I drove out to this apiary, which is, you know, there's guys who have these businesses and I showed up and he's like, here's your package of bees and your queen. And the queen came in like a little test tube. I stuck that in the backseat of my back of my truck. Okay, this is just faith right here, you know. Like, okay, I'm going to put these bees in the back seat of my truck, and I heard it. They're buzzing. They're buzzing back there. Got them back, and um, you know, I had read the instructions online on how to introduce your 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 new hive to its hive box, and these are called we. Uh, oh, what's the name of these? That is, you, you know, those typical beekeeper boxes they have. That's a science in and of itself, man. It, with those frames. So I was I got totally geeked out on on how on beekeeping and um but my hive died because red wasps and and yellow jackets uh came in and they're attacking they were just popping the heads off of my my bees and so the the hive the colony imploded on itself 
and died. So that's, uh, yeah, that, that, that was a that, that's lesson. Interesting. That's interesting that even though yellow jackets look similar to honeybees or bumblebees, that actually wasps and yellow jackets prey on other insects, flies, and in this case, bees. It's kind of interesting. It's almost like a yeah. relative, and it's like they, they prey on their, um, I don't know, I, for some reason. I don't super aggressive. Yeah, yeah, super aggressive. So I got, yeah. you know, I, so I'm not done with, I'm not done with my, I've got stories in this. So I got a little crazy with, with this. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, I grew up um, off the grid for a few years. And um, so, you know, so I know, you know, a little bit about how to survive, you know, with your own planting, hunting and fishing and whatnot. But, um, I got fascinated with, uh, one of those little guys, um, those little guys that, a uh, praying mantis. So I ordered online, Amazon, you can get anything you want. I'm surprised you can't order a tank. I ordered every year. I ordered, um, a, a little package to come to my house of, I, I ordered, um, um, ladybugs. And um, praying mantis, uh, not one praying mantis, but a nest of praying mantises. And they would ship them to my house. And there's all instructions on how to introduce them. Praying mantises, uh, they're, they're um, carnivores. or uh, No, no, they're cannibals. So not all, you know, you, I'd see those little tiny praying mantis babies coming out of, the, out of this little neg, uh, 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 nest egg. And, um, you know, they're start eating each other, but they're spread out and I have, I would have them all over my garden. And, now, uh, are you saying that a mother praying mantis will eat even her own eggs or her own no, kids? No, the kids are eating each other. They climb out, the, they climb out of the egg and they start eating they each other. Start to eat each other. Yeah. It's vicious. But I, so I had praying mantises everywhere. Praying manti, mantis, I don't know how you say it. So I had praying mantises all over the yard. It was great because you know they're they're monsters. Um, I had hummingbirds. What like else, else do they prey on though, other than each other? Um, other insects. Else? Yeah, other insects. Yeah, they're they're insects. Back in Baltimore, I used to see them as even as a kid. I mean, before I was ten years old, I used to see them, and you see them kind of stand up, and they just have this. They're really, they're kind of, I mean, even though they're plain green, they're kind of flamboyant in the way in their posture and their postural awareness. Like they're like the most, the best postured insect you could ever see. I'm assuming they're an insect that you could see. It yeah. Like, they're an insect. They have a lot of like character and pizzazz, like a presence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're amazing. They'll, I've seen videos. You go look on YouTube. They've taken down hummingbirds. That's just vicious. To take down a hummingbird, but they, they will. Because what's interesting is, as a person and even as a kid, you I wasn't scared of them. It, it's not like a praying mantis is going to prey on a, um, you know, prey on us. It's not. It, so it's interesting that they're that they can be that that ferocious, and yet to humans, it just seemed like they're fairly docile. Yeah, no, they're they're yeah, they will eviscerate uh, other insects. Just rip them apart. They have claws and and their jaws are very. They're I think they're related to the ant, but um, 
they come in different colors. I mean, you know, they'll adapt to they will adapt their color. So there's brown ones, light brown ones, um, and I only gr- saw you know, green. I, I saw green. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. They're called uh, Praemantis chineses or chineses, something like that. So they're from China. They're you know they're Asian. <clears throat> but Interesting. Um, when you were talking about bees, because I was staying in an Airbnb a while back and. There was a, the guy, the owner there had a um, had a beehive out back, and you know he would go remarkably close. Unlike what I encountered with the yellow jackets, he would say, "Hey, you could walk really close. They're not interested in you. They're doing their thing. They're not. They tend not to be aggressive with the beehive." And what's remarkable? So I'm here in Utah, living in Utah, and what's remarkable is the 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 the, the, the one of the you know how each name has its state, you know. Utah is the beehive state. That's what it is, you know. So the beehive. I didn't know that. The symbol. It's the beehive state, and so the 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 symbolism there is that, you know, everybody working together, to advance to advance humanity, advance civilization, build the state. And what's interesting about, especially for you as a finance guy, you've been an executive, you've worked at at you know some with some major firms and banks, banking institutions. And just on an organizational level, like if you were somebody that was interested in organization, just to study like their, their organization, you talk about like knowing your role and just team, right? Team effort, right? Like for the oh, team, yeah. um, it's, it's just kind of remarkable to think about that, that a beehive can represent that and you can look at things in nature like and again we we've seen this in the fight sports too to bring it back to the fight sports where we are regularly imitating animal movements animals are much more efficient in their movements alligators monkey you know we do monkey sprints we do bear crawls we do you know we climb up we climb up things and we do a lot of things that animals do so much more efficiently but you've seen a lot of you know even in the in the chinese martial arts in the Brazilian martial arts, Hicks and Gracie, um, on and on and on, you see us, and I still do it. No, I do it multiple times a week. But it's interesting to look in nature, look at how an animal or an insect moves, how it behaves, and then sort of thinking as a human, what if I took some of those same principles, and whether it be Beehive and your, your business organization, or whether it be crawling like a crocodile and crawling like a bear, <clears throat> crawling faster, oh, yeah. climbing this, climbing that. And it, it would seem like crazy talk or preposterous to a lot of people, but we've seen a lot of the smartest people in different ecosystems do exactly that. Study you know, those ecosystems and say, what are the lessons for us as humans from this animal kingdom, from this in- insect kingdom? which is all around us every day and which which is blind to a lot of people. There is so much life, even like here in this garden, it looks like there's just some trees and whatever. If we went down into the soil with the worms, with the ants, in the trees, in, 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 the, in the tree bark, there is so much life all around us. And yet Absolutely. every day we're, we're just sort of blind to it. You know, I want to, let me get in here with, some, with, with, with a thought of, about that. Uh, you know, talking about ants, um, you know, ants give off this pheromone, and so they leave a trail behind them, so that other ants. 
And they'll use this like group mentality, this group think, where if there's more of a presence, if, if the presence of that of that pheromone trail is, you know, there's like a lot of lot of those trails there and it's and it's very recent, then the ants start to follow it. You know, there's more ants, the, you know, like the wisdom of the crowd of like, how do we get to where we're going? You know, um, they'll, so they'll follow the, the intensity and the and the the number of of that there. But there's some danger in in that. There's some danger in that. And I'm going to explain this. Uh, and we and we can extrapolate that to our current political thought and, and how we do things, which is, you know, have you ever heard of an ant mill? All right. Let me tell you what an ant mill is. Okay, so you know you're, you're watching an ant. It's moving fast, okay? You know, it's got six, it's probably got six little legs, and they're moving fast. I mean, they're running, okay, as fast as they can. So there's a phenomenon that happens. You can go see it on YouTube. Playing follow the, you know, ants, what they're doing is, you know, there's a few scouts out. They'll go out, ant scouts will go out and check stuff, and they find stuff. You know, then they'll start this big, you know, follower movement. You know, it's like one ant will follow another ant and follow another. And they're just following it. They're just following, you know, and there's no real leader in this. But what happens, imagine seeing where ants start, for whatever reason, Some this happens, where they fall, ants start following the trail into, and they fall into a circle, a circle. So all the ants are running as fast as they can, follow the leader and they go into a circle and that's called an ant meal. And what happens is that's a death spiral. That's a death spiral because that ant is going to run as fast as it can to get to its destination. And this happens, this happens in nature. You'll see this in, in like the Amazon um, uh, in South America, in Brazil, they have these ant meals that, that occur naturally in nature. And these ants will run in a circle as fast as they can to their deaths. All right. And there's a little, little thought process about that. Okay. And that is, I want to say, be careful of following the leader. You think objectively, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a situation you can come into where you're following that leader and you are literally, you trap yourself into a race to your own, death per se okay you know you like you run into a dead end or you get into stuck into a honey pot you know you run fast and faster faster and you can watch them you still on youtube they'll run until they die it's just thousands and thousands of ants dead after an ant mill it's, it's interesting because so, and assu- assuming that they're on a mission maybe we're, we're, we're assuming but you're following other ants you're thinking we're heading to do whatever we're heading to get some stuff done we're doing the right thing you're buying into group think you're buying into yep. what the tribe is doing yeah knowing that you're just it's you're just you're going in a circle now what's interesting is metaphorically um this reminds me I, I had this conversation with my brother at different times of our lives and i was like you know when you sort of go through the proverbial midlife crises and i'm like wow i, I was like i'm you know i've, I've said before they've never made a lazy Carreri, right the Carreri family we have every yeah. kind of we have every kind of dysfunction the world has ever seen, but we've never we've yet to produce knock on wood a lazy career. Everybody has a hard work ethic. Even the, the most drug addicted person in the family, people have been in prison. Everybody is a worker. But 
what's interesting is you can be to your point someone like me felt like wow i'm such a hard worker i pride myself on being the hardest worker in the room and then you look up after a number of years and you find out that you're like wow i, I used to say to my brother nobody ever ran harder in a circle than me i don't know anybody that ran harder only to find oh, yeah. you're running it's just a so massive like, fool's yeah, errand not aware of this phenomenon like wow and if you're not careful like you just said perfectly and metaphorically and poetically thank you you know if you're not careful you can you just burn the candle at both ends Mm -hmm. And then you just, you don't have any, as the Chinese call it, Jing. The Chinese call it Jing. It's like your life force, your zest. You've got to preserve that. You don't want to burn that out. You only have so much of that. And you, what are you going to budget it on? Like for you, a finance guy, what am I going to budget that life force? Or as I call it, life forza. What am I going to budget that Jing on? Because you only have so much of it. You only come in the world with so much energy. You only have so much attention. You only have so much you can aim at. What are you going to choose to budget that at? And a lot of people, unfortunately, just don't wake up in time, Noah, to realize that they're in that that they're in that death spiral or they're too afraid. What's crazy is some people know they're in that death spiral or that mm -hmm. spiral of diminishment, that spiral where they're not getting better. Because Drysdale used to say to everybody, he used to come in there and, you know, his thing, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. There was no Stacy's. There was no holding Pat. There was no just, okay. It was you're either getting better or you're not. You're either caught up in this little treadmill, you're a hamster on a wheel, you're not, you're not getting better, you're either getting better or you're not. And at the end of the day, it's, it's true. And the thing is, a lot of people get so comfortable with that, that they're just too afraid to ever jump off of that mill. They're just, they're just, they're like, hey, I, I'll just stay in every, and especially when there's a lot of other people in there too. I mean, right? So you get comfortable. Okay, well, there's a lot of them. You're, right? you're in a pack. Yeah, yeah. I'm in yeah. a pack. I've got the safety of my pack. You have a mosquito biting you or something over there? I have a fly that that flies. Oh, out. this is one of the one of the you know the pro and con of everything in life is the pro is there's some beautiful rustic um, you know architecture and, and structures near me. There's the mountains in the yonder. There's some big some big trees. There's a nice botanical garden here. There's a swimming pool. The con is that the insects, this is the paradise for them, right? So there's yellow jackets, there's Got spiders, it. there's flies, and uh, th this is their paradise too, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, you, you know, it's, it's funny. You can make a hell of paradise. Um, let me stick with that metaphor a second, but, but you know, I want to go, actually, I want to kind of jump a little bit and, and talk about, you know, when I was studying for the CPA exam, um, my mentor there was um, a man named Don Kane, uh, K-O-E-H-N, Don Kane, and not to be, not to be confused with Don King, the boxing promoter, but Don Kane is a CPA and he had his own uh, private practice, his own C CPA firm. And he hired me uh, to work in his office. Uh, and that was my first taste of what it's like to work as a CPA practitioner. And, and he embodied ethics. And, the, and I first got to know him before I started working for him was through a CPA review course. And, um, I sat in that CPA review course and the first week, cause we, I was doing this on weekends, um, Sundays, um, 
Sundays we had our review review, review course. And he came up there and he took a he took a jar. Now I don't. He took a glass jar. Now I'm just going to hold this up for a second as a as a as a. Uh, well, let me just use my uh, tea glass. Okay, and just imagine this has a lid uh, has a closure on top. Okay, and he said, I, I want to talk about this, and I want to talk about how you look at priorities with what you're doing. And so he took that jar and he said, you have, you know, you have large pebbles and you put the large pebbles in. Okay. First, shake it up a little bit. Then you take some smaller pebbles, like small gravel pieces. You put those in, shake it up. And then you take sand, you pour sand in there because you're trying to fill this, fill this jar up to this max capacity. You shake it up. Are you done? No. So he takes a glass of water. He pours water into it. He goes, done. Now, this is about how you prioritize things, like your time. Now, what I'm telling you to do is you're not trying to fill every single, every, the entire volume up. You're not try- That's not what time management is and, and how you set priorities. When you set priorities, what I mean, you know, what, what was meant was you take the large things first. They go in first. Okay. And then the smaller things, you know. So now's a good time, you know, when we talk about priorities, there's so much instability. There's so much going on with, um, you know, you see other people around you, your close community, every, you know, things are starting to get a little wobbly on the wheels. And you guys take a step back and make your priorities again. Check your priorities. You know, check your priorities and and how you spend your time. And um, you know, I think you and I have been working a lot. I have my own CPA firm and my own practice uh, that uh, that I use as uh, as my quote unquote side hustle. But it's you know, I'm a professional, so I have to take care of clients. You know, I have that. Why? Well, you know, in times like this, it helps with, you know, it helps balance things out whenever, you know, things are rough. You have your own uh, professional practice that you're in, uh, Forza Fit, you know, coaching, uh, 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 health and wellness, uh, and, and your writing career. You know, those are things that you prioritize as your major works in life. What we're doing with jujitsu may not seem like a priority right now to a lot of people may not be a priority, but it's actually the, if you keep jujitsu in your life right now, in some way, you keep that connection, it's going to help bind together everything that you need. And the real real power, you know, I'm, I'm glad you talk about, prioritizing right the art of prioritizing jim jim Rohn, the motivational philosopher and businessman very successful businessman he used to say don't major in minor things right yeah and and this has been a really this has been a really important lesson to me because i didn't think that time is sort of the ultimate currency right we always think of money but of course when you have a lot of money and even when you get money time becomes the precious currency, right? That's the thing. That's, 
you know, money can at some to some people seem infinite, right? It just keeps going and going and going, but time is not, right? Time is is finite, and we never know when time is up in this dimension. We don't know. Yeah. And so, you know, your attention. You think of the phrase. I was thinking of this Noah when I was been bike riding. I'm thinking of the phrase. People use the phrase "pay attention," right? Your teachers growing up. How many times did a teacher said to someone, "Pay attention"? Yeah. Now, what's interesting about that is. Why did they choose the word pay? Because you would say, hey, give me your attention or blank attention. Why did someone instinctively say the word, someone long ago used the word pay attention and it's stuck? What does that mean? What, what that means is that attention is a currency. It is, it is a form of respect. If I'm sitting here fully engaged with you in conversation and I give you my time and my attention and you as a, as a very smart financial guy with the numbers and you've been helping me with getting better at you know looking at itemizing and expenses and schedule c's and you're teaching me that that time that is respect that is a that is a deep respect especially in this case where you're not even being paid for you're doing it out of the kindness of your heart that is a respect that is a valuing of someone that is you have plenty of other things you could be doing you're a you're a curious guy you have plenty of books to read. You have a lovely family. You have you're good. You know you're going to go to some of the you know prominent grad school there, University of Michigan. You've got your jujitsu stuff. You've got plenty to do. And so, in terms of the prioritization, where I had to learn, I have to start thinking of time as a budget. Right? It is a budget. There's only so many hours in a day. And what's interesting, Noah, is the busier I get, the more I add. Actually, the more. The, the better I get with budgeting my time, the better I get with organizing by necessity. A lot yep. of times people, people who aren't as busy waste a lot of time and don't even realize it because they're yeah, not man. that busy. Right. When That's you it. Actually you got have, it. When you actually have to juggle, you have a wife and kids, you have grad school, you have work, you have jujitsu. On the one hand, this is the paradox of it. On the one hand, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. On the other hand, people that have those rich, full lives and so much to do, they become the best at time management. They become the best at prioritizing out of necessity because they have to. And so I'm entering that place now, too, where, you know, there are some, I think for people out there with time management, it really starts with what's not negotiable. Like what in your schedule in your life? Everybody has to decide what is not up for negotiation. Like for me to not work out six days a week, pretty much for me right now, that's not negotiable. That's not just, that's not that's your just priority flow. That's not just muscles. That's not just testosterone. That is sanity. That is therapy. That is meditation. That is not negotiable because even if I, if I say, well, let's get rid of the working out, nothing, I'll be a wreck. I'll be um, imbalanced, grossly imbalanced. So that's not negotiable. So people have to sit there when they look at these lists or the spreadsheet of their life. You know, you're doing financial spreadsheets, but somebody using looking at the spreadsheet of their life from the time they go to bed, to the time they wake up to the first things that they do. It's really like, okay, what's just not negotiable here? I mean, for me, six to, at minimum six hours of sleep normally. I used to be able to go off less when I was younger, but right now, you know, very rarely I can go off five some days. I do. 
But normally I'm looking at that six to seven hours, some days eight, some days nine, some days I'll do a catch-up day, I'll get 10, 10 and a half. Those are rare days, but I do try to squeeze those in a couple times a month because they help me recharge. But it's not negotiable. I already know, hey, at least six to seven hours are accounted for sleep. For me, since I'm a workhorse and my body likes to be revved, it likes to be pushed, we're looking at 90 minutes to three hours of working out every day, depending. But I got to usually get at least 90 minutes. And, and, and I have to be able to turn the world off, too. A lot of people work out, but they got one eye on their cell phone, their email. I have to be able to turn the world off for at least 90 minutes to three hours a day to just be, to just empty. And anyway, I can go on and on and on about this. But, yeah, you know, it's interesting what, what he taught you about the, the prioritizing in that jar. And yeah. um, that, that that's a really big thing. Like, those are those are paramount things for me right now. I think about that almost every day. I always think now more and more, I think about my financial budget. You and I have talked about this is the leanest I've ever lived in my adult life. And I would say in terms of my schedule, in terms of my day, designing my day, this is the the leanest I've ever lived, like the, the best priorities and the best list I've had. And I'm probably just scratching the surface. Like it's I, the I, richest I you've ever felt for improvement. Yeah. You know, I, I'll say I was a millionaire. Um, in my thirties and I cannot tell you how miserable I was. And this is, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes, you know, I made a lot of mistakes and, um, it's been hard to come back from, it's been hard to come back from those mistakes in my life. Um, I was the most unhappy when I was the richest and I've been the happiest when I've been the poorest. And I, I cannot tell you this is for real. It, I have, I, I've regretted not having my wits about me when I did have a lot of money at that time. And I learned some really good life lessons there. Sorry, I, I, it just, it just, it does, it's just a punch to the gut to think about, you know, how, how good I had it and I wasted an opportunity because I thought that having that money would make me happy. Um, it didn't, it brought me so much misery and sadness. Um, it takes some major midlife crises to help you get the wisdom to apply solid judgment. I cannot emphasize this enough. Our time is so precious. It is so precious. So, um, you know, I faced, you know, I questioned continuing to live during that time um, because it was such a war to become a millionaire and then to have it and then to realize that it was a hollow victory. It was a hollow victory. And to, you know, I, I needed jujitsu the most then. I needed my friends the most then. 
And what I had done was push myself further and further away, isolated myself, extreme social distance myself away into um, a situation where my life crumbled. And, um, oh, yeah, um, sorry. I, it's just, you know, times like these, you, you know, I look at the mistakes I made and, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you about things. You know, we build from where we are. That's the best place. Work with what you got right now. Um, if we work with what we have right now and we commit ourselves every minute of paying attention, pay that price. You know, I, I have a I have struggled with being lazy. You know, um, as a CPA, you're supposed to get 40 hours of continuing professional education every year, year in, year out. And that is hard to do because that's a whole work week. And I would give myself excuses and I would say I would that would sign up for a service that's three hundred dollars a year and say to myself, oh, yeah, three hundred dollars. You know, you know, that way I don't have to take all these free CPE courses out there and have to just go be going all over the place to find it. I would have one source to take it. And that was a bit of that was actually intellectually or that was lazy. That was lazy on my part. Um, now that I am practicing extreme budgeting, like where I budget from zero, you know, you, you should be, you should be paying nothing for things if you can, you know, I practice this, um, to some, I mean, I'm not going to buy rotten meat. Okay. I, you know, I'm going to buy organic food. My, my food budget is probably the most, you know, you know, that competes for rent sometimes, but, um, what I'm saying is um, there are little expenses every month and big expenses where I, I was too lazy to haggle over. I was too lazy to negotiate. I was too arrogant, you know, Oh, I don't want to come across as uh, you know, it's person, you know, looking for discounts or I went through that crazy mindset and learned a solid lesson that no, uh, what you need to do is say, why should I pay this? And what I should do is go and not pay anything and force myself, force myself to not be, not to be intellectually lazy and find things, find things that I'm paying for now, get rid of them and substitute it with something where I'm not paying anything for it, or I'm paying a, at least half less. So, um, so yeah, for I example, know that you're, you know, I, I would say as your friend, I, I don't know that you're intellectually lazy. I think you're actually intellectually rigorous and active. You may just have so many interests that it's hard for you to sit down in this, in the, you know, at times at different times in your life where you're doing the same thing and this, some monotonous things. I think your mind is very fertile and very curious. I want to say something though. So this is one of the things, you know, you talk about one of the most important things for fighters and combat sports athletes is efficiency, economy of motion. You have to be very economical in your motion. When you're mm -hmm. wasting motion, every time you're moving with your, not you, but anybody, we're yeah. moving with our foot movement, our hand movement. You know, the more we're wasting motion, the quicker you get tired, right? You know, you're usually when you're wasting motion, your breathing is off too. So those go hand in hand, right? Somebody who's moving very inefficiently, 
usually their breathing reflects that, right? Their breathing is all messed up and hyperventilated and sped up and, and they're breathing way, you know, you look at them and they're doing, you know, they're doing bear crawls of like, they're, they're huffing and puffing. And you're like, well, they're either out of shape or they're just, and, or they're very inefficient in their movement. So if we bring efficiency to their movement and we bring proper breathing and we bring better posture, postural improvements are usually improvements of efficiency. And the same thing, we start looking at our balance sheet, whether it be finances, of which I'm not an expert, but I've started to do that a little better with your help. So you have a financial balance sheet. You have designing your day hour by hour, what it's going to look like, what food prep, what you're going to read, who you're going to meet with, project deadlines, etc. And the more, you know, that's a big part of life is constantly looking at our balance sheet. What are we spending our money on? What are we spending our time on? What projects are we invested in? And even for me, because you know that I'm a very, you know, I'm a very friendly, gregarious guy. I, I have, you know, I see people around town. I love random conversations. So some of the best conversations I've ever had are just randomly meeting people. And I've had to take inventory and say, Frank, something has to give. Something has to give. You can't have all these things. You have all these interests. You know, but but something has to give. Either you you can't have a you can't have a girlfriend, or you can't you know you can't spend as much time with with friends. You know, I've got th different things I want to do. And the thing is, when you get to where I am in the middle age, even though I feel like I'm getting younger and better in a lot of ways, the reality is certain goals have to go by the wayside. Noah, I could still do. Okay, I could absolutely still go when the tournaments open up and do jujitsu tournaments. I could do 30 of them a year. When IBJJF opens back up, I could say, I'm gonna travel and go do those and get sponsors, and I could do that. The question is, why do I, a person who loves grappling, who's done it for 34 years, why do I not prioritize that? Because at this point in my life, the, the, you know, I, I can continue to get better, but these young kids are a lot better too. They've got youth on their side, they're 20 years old, they can train four times a day, I mean, their bodies heal quicker. I've got a lot of injuries and all, and I could spend a lot of time injury, injured. I could burn the candle at both ends. What's left of my body, okay, my body, could, I could use it up in a couple more years of hard training in jiu-jitsu. I could use it up. I'm not saying there's not a way. I'm just saying when I look at the calculus of my life right now, and I'm not saying that I won't do a tournament again. I, I probably will do some more tournaments. But the reason I'm not putting every chip on that, it's not a lack of love. It's just that there are other things there for the taking. There are other things that I had put on the back burner. There are other goals, writing books, mm -hmm. producing some music albums. There were other goals that I put on the back burners. And I'm saying, Frank, my standard, Noah, whether it's fair or unfair, and I fall short a lot, but my standard is excellence. My standard is, my bar is very high. And the reality is in jujitsu, as a physical athlete, I am not going to be able to beat the Mikey Musumeci's of the world. I have to accept that. That's a hard pill to swallow. I love Mikey, but I'm talking about some of that caliber, the Lucas Lepre's, the, you know, the Mendez brothers. It's not going to happen. We just have to accept that at some point you wake up. And those years, that time has gone. That time has passed. It's not to say that you can't be competitive with them, but that's not the point. My point is not to go on a mat and be competitive with them. That doesn't do it for me. My point is, Frank, what can you contribute to the world in an excellent way right now? And how much time do you have to do that? You know, when you're an athlete, Noah, you only have a certain amount of time. Frankie Edgar's still doing it. He's defying age. He did it last night. Big upset when he's 38. He's beating father time for all the beatings that he's had and put his body through. It's pretty amazing what he does at 38. 
but there's still a time limit on that, right? At some point, we have. Well, unless you're cheating, unless you're cheating somehow. I'm not. No, no. And and let me say, I'm. I I inserted that comment uh, uh, prematurely. By the way, sorry about that. Because I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying that about uh, Frankie Edgar. It's just Frankie is is almost certainly a clean athlete. You know that. Uh, I, I, yeah, and, and, and I'm sorry. I, 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 blurted, I blurted that out without thinking yep. of, of the timing of it um, because, uh, you know, he's, he's an awesome human being. Um, I, I, what I'm, it was just like on the tip of my tongue, and I wanted to say um, that, you know, you've, there is a bit of short circuit that can occur if you want certain things without achieving them properly. Um, But this is the thing, Noah. I think that we pay the piper for the things that we do in this life. I think we pay the piper one way or the other. Like you were saying when you were sharing your, you know, your, your story, that, 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 that's that life experience for you, that you were the least happiest when you had the most money. And we've heard that story in a lot of people. This is an interesting thing. When someone has a lot of money, and they're depressed and they're down and they're even and it even crosses their mind like, hey, maybe it's better if I'm not here. You know that when that I think that in a lot of ways, it's worse when you have a lot of money and you're that down in the tra- that, that that depressed, because when you don't have money and you're depressed or you're angry or you're going through things. You at least have the comfort. Well, I haven't done everything I can. I could go out and make more money. I could solve this problem. I could do better financially. And then a lot of this would go away. Right. So I could convince myself if I'm going through something and I'm a middle class person and I'm going through something, I could convince myself, well, yeah, whatever financial stresses you have, I can improve that. And then the quality of my life and my freedom will go up and I'll be so much happier. But when you've already got the money and you're thinking that the money was going to be this big white like hey money's gonna make 70 80 percent of my problems go away and it hasn't made them go away and or in some ways things are worse because maybe somebody uses us for our money right maybe somebody comes in and maybe we maybe we make bad investments or maybe someone uses us for our money or exploits us for our money whatever the case may be then there's the guilt the anger and so many things that are wrapped around that so you know but the thing is, I'm a big believer that we don't escape karma in this dimension. We get, we we are weaving our own karma with our decisions. So for the person, for the athlete, for instance, and you and I, you and I both know that Frankie Edgar is a clean athlete. I've even had this conversation with other athletes. He's one of the for sure, uh, one of the clean athletes. But the whoever it is, people pay the piper one way or the other. Whether it's their health, people dying prematurely, way before they should. It's it's hard on the organs. You don't get something for nothing. It's like, you know, with Wall Street and things people do, that stuff can catch up to people, right? It's a very dangerous game to play when people are going to constantly cut corners. That's why when we use the word hack and we say, you know, body hacks, life hacks, you know, weight loss hacks, that's great. We all have to hack at something in our life because, like for me with financing, I'm not, I don't have enough time or enough interest to be an expert at that. So I'm going to defer to Noah to be my hack, right? Noah's going to walk me through it, shortcut me. That kind of hack is a good thing. But when people really, that's a different hack where we're, where somebody is supplementing our knowledge. Hey, you, Noah, you can't know everything. 
So I'll be your jujitsu hack and shorten your learning curve there, right? But if yep. you're going to be, if, if this is like where you want to plant your flag, okay, I'm not going to plant my flag as a financial consultant or financial executive, right? If I'm going to plant my flag there, I'm going to be an elite jujitsu player. Then I think hacks, even though you can shortcut, you get instructors. I think we really have to, I think that there's no shortcuts there in the end. We can, we can have an instructor that, that teaches us the right way from the ground up, how to build the foundation, but there really are no shortcuts. It's hard, monotonous, um, you know, there's no shortcut. It's 10,000 10, hours, 20,000 hours, 25,000 hours. The hack doesn't work there in the areas of our life where we're going to plant the flag, where we're working on our legacy, where we're working on the foundational things, the essence of us, your life's work, the hack doesn't work there. That is a 15, 20 year, 30 year sign up. That is a marriage. And yeah. a lot of people don't want to do that. So we all have areas of our life. If you're not, you and you and I do a lot of cooking. So, you know, you've got different recipes with eggplant and things like that. So I can use that hack, right? I can say, hey, you know, Noah's going to save me time. That he gives me his eggplant recipe, his grilled eggplant recipe. There's places. But when it comes to something you really care about that's going to be, you're going to produce, you're trying to produce beautiful art. I don't believe in hacks with that. I believe in hard that's work. Right. I believe in, I believe in get married to it. Hip escapes. You don't like hip escapes? I quit jujitsu. People don't like doing hip escapes and paying attention and doing, doing 2,000 or 3,000 or 4,000 hip escapes. You know what? Don't do jujitsu. You don't like push-ups? Probably don't do jujitsu. You don't like people sweating on you? Don't do jujitsu. I mean, it just, that's, there's no hacking. There's no, there's no real shortcut around that. It's, it's hard work. And this is the thing with jujitsu, why we're, you know, why are we every man jujitsu? And then we talk about other life things too, but because we're talking about jujitsu as a way, all it is, is it's like Sun Tzu or whatever, Lao Tzu and, you know, the Tao Te Ching and know thyself, right? One of the top commandments in life is know thyself. Those mats are going to force us to know ourselves. They're going to enforce us. They're going to force us to invest in ourselves. They're going to force you to have an even more intimate relationship with yourself, not just with other people, because at the end of the day, it is, you know, it's certainly there's nothing physical or nothing romantic going on there, but it is a very intimate sport. It's the most intimate of sports in that I can feel every ounce of fight in my opponent, in my training partner. It's the most intimate. I, without saying a word, I can feel what this guy is made of. And same thing. We're not BSing each other. This is not a negotiation where we're playing a game and smoke and mirrors. There's no smoke and mirrors going on. He's going he's gonna to have to show his hand on the mat, and I'm going to have to show my hand. And so that intimacy is not just with training partners and opponents. That intimacy foremost is with ourselves. That's all jujitsu. All jujitsu is is a mirror. It's a mirror. Those mats are a mirror. And it's just saying, hey, take a good hard look at what you like, at what you don't like, at what needs work, and are you willing to show up every day? And so, you know, Henzo Gracie used to say, he used to say, if, if you if you if you can't spend one at least one hour a day doing what you love, like something like jujitsu or working out, then something is grossly wrong with your life. And yeah. I would amend what Henzo said, and I've met Henzo a couple of times. I would say if you don't have two hours, if you don't have at least two hours of your life, of your day, at least two hours carved off for something you really love, heart and soul, at least two hours where you can empty, you can turn off the world, then something's wrong with our life, man. Something's this wrong with our life. If we if we can't if we can't carve at least two hours a day, I don't even the busiest person, two hours of turn off and tune in to your inner voice, 
to your your inner you know your inner nature to your intimacy knowing thyself you knowing yourself and 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 saying okay i've been running from this a long time like those ants on that mill i've been running in a circle or i've been running from this a long time it's time to face the music now you know i just did that with you i mean on some things that you know we and i consulted with we're not going to talk about it right now but I got to face the music on something. We all have to face the music at some point. You know, I, I really enjoy getting together with with you uh, and Jordan each week um, to talk about this because this is, you know, lately, uh, obviously, you know, I, my access to to Henzo's is is it, it's it's closed. You know, I don't have an opportunity to go train with my training partners there, so I've. I've really enjoyed the past uh, now eight months um, or more um, getting together with you and Jordan to talk about uh, to talk about jujitsu and the wonderful things we've we've done. I want to say, uh, oh, 34. probably, yeah. yeah, we've got we've we probably sat and had forty to fifty hours uh, or more together and talked about. Uh, jujitsu and 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 its art and um, oh no you okay yeah I got it, um, got it. oh good my phone uh, was toast if I didn't catch it the uh, that's that's the reflexes that I have to credit jujitsu with that uh, yeah. that that was totally jujitsu right there so but yeah you know, I wanted to uh, I, you know I don't know did you have time to go past uh, three well it, it's gonna it's it's under yeah, ten minutes. Like Four twenty. What time is it? All right. So that would be another thirty minutes. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I just want to check. All right. Um, you know, you see, you see, you, you see this. This podcast has has done a lot for me inside. I, you know, it's it's done a lot. Um, and but you know, it's just a reflection of how much jujitsu has done a lot for me, you know, know, middle-aged investment banker. uh, And, you know, I've grown so much just even this past, you know, half a year having so much discussion with you guys. Um, And, and I think that what we, we should, we should look at expanding what we do on the, on here. And, um, you know, what do you think, you know, a little bit about, you know, Frank, you've got so much fight knowledge, and I and initially I thought sitting down with you and you know on, on a podcast was to extract some of that fight knowledge, and I feel like we're not even touching, like we're we're only getting twenty, twenty five, maybe thirty percent of your knowledge, um, in it. I, I think what I'd like to do is to propose to you to to go deeper in, in that, in that analysis and possibly, you know, uh, you know, what do you think about us doing some breakdown videos, uh, you know, in UFC fights and we, we take, you know, technique videos or something like that. I, you know, I think that would be, you know, that's something I would, I, I know I would benefit from just to hearing your knowledge. What do you think? Can you hear me? Well, that's not a good sign. Um, <laughs> uh, 
All right. So let's see what we can do with Frank. I think he lost his signal. I'm going to drop him out of the frame for a second. Let's see if Frank will come back. All right. So it looks like we lost Frank, but... Um, yeah, I think that uh, working with Frank, you know, his uh, he's been phenomenal in helping me. Um, you know, he has a consulting practice, uh, Life Jiu-Jitsu, Frank Forza, um, that I would like to recommend. You know, if you, you know, he has his website, um, and I know he puts it in the show notes, but it, if you can go and take a look at it and, and reach out to him and just learn that. But I also want to talk about real quick about, um, about suicide. Um, I spoke earlier in this podcast about that difficulty that I was going through. And, you know, I made a promise to my cousin that I would not harm myself. And, um, I, you know, or, or others, you know, I mean, you know, we, we get in a dark space, but I think that if you, if you are going through that, make a promise to someone, um, you're more than welcome to reach out to me, um, big man green at Gmail. And, uh, you know, we can talk about it. I can get you professional help. Frank. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. I got to talk a little bit about Frank for, uh, F- uh, Forza Fit. And yeah. um, I also talked about, uh, you know, during difficult times, um, you know, to reach out to someone and talk to them. Um, you know, just to, I, I gave my email address. Folks can reach out, reach out to me to go through a really dark time. You're, you're freezing up on me. I don't so know I, if you're. Well, I, am I still frozen up? No, now, now it's not. But I'm not trusting this situation. Yeah. So, so what happened was um, I, I'm sitting out there. You know, I'm the I'm the sun freak, and I love being in the sun. And apparently my phone, I love the sun. My skin loves the sun. My phone does not. So the phone just shut down. It's too hot. Um, so, you, yeah, you, you had made the proposal, and, we, you know, we talked about it before. But, yeah, let's do it. Let's start doing some fight breakdowns. It could be anything from – a jiu-jitsu match, a submission grappling match, um, a an MMA fight with a finish there. And also, I would even say even Street Fighter videos, too, because I actually study uh, quite a few of those. I think that, that from my Baltimore days, I've always I've always been interested in sort of like the body language, what people are capable of, like almost almost, for example, one of the things that I've done instinctively as a martial artist over the years, Noah, is this gift of looking at people's bodies, someone you don't know and looking at their body and knowing what their potential is without even having ever seen them. Right. So just doing a quick calculation of this is how tall they are. This is how long they are. This is how they move. This is their body posture. This is probably what they would, their their bag of tricks because that old saying I used to have, and I said it to, to Matt Sarah many years ago at the UFC gym, I'd say, build your, build your game around your frame. Most people, this is the weird thing, almost like an empath or almost like an, a, you know, a, a, an, in, an, an intuit, an intuitor, where you can look at someone you've never seen and you can just pretty much tell okay, how strong is this guy, 
Uh, does he have a great, you know, one punch that, you know, is he a hard puncher? You can look at his hand size, a lot of things you can look at. And so when you study those fight videos, um, again, I'm assuming hand to hand combat. Normally there are exceptions with knives and weapons and bats and people doing crazy things or jumping people. But I like to look at them and, and see just the range of things. Like for instance, let me give you an example. Okay. Let me give you one example of like, people don't. Uh Oh, freezing people, up again. Most go. people, yeah, I'm here. Most people don't think of this, right? Let's take, for instance, the case of it's Roger Huerta had a fight. You know, remember Roger Huerta, who was on the cover? He was the first MMA fighter on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And he was there. He fought one night in Houston. And I was actually there with Dana White. I was actually cage side, front row. I was sitting in Dana White's seats. I think it was 2007. And we were down there in Houston. Roger Huerta had fought. And then a picture from that became the cover, the, the front cover of Sports Illustrated. So that was a huge moment for UFC to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, even though there was still sort of the, like the Sports Illustrated angle was still kind of like, should this be legal, right? Barely legal. Mm -hmm. It still had some of those, you know, the blood sport connotations. But at the same time, it was becoming, it was balancing the stories a little more and becoming a little more accepting. But anyway... Roger Huerta one day, you know, years later in, in Austin, Texas, where he lived, became, he got into a, a street altercation. I guess somebody was, I think a guy had been abusive to a woman, something like that. Roger Huerta was coming to the, to the defense, if I remember correctly. Anyway, this guy and Roger Huerta, this guy is considerably bigger than Roger Huerta, who fought at 155 pounds. And this guy is a lot bigger, and Roger Huerta throws this high kick from hell. Right, boom. I remember this. The, the big guy this. just falls. So there, there, there's, there's probably still video of it on YouTube. Roger Huerta throws this high kick from hell, and this guy just falls. And of course, people who aren't as familiar, right? Even at that point, whatever it was, 2011, 2012, 2013, whenever it was that that didn't happen, there was still a lot of the world that didn't realize that a 170 pound guy could destroy a 250, 260 pound guy. And this guy looked like this guy that Huerta knocks out looks like looks like I think actually he was on the Austin I think he was on the University of Texas football team that's what made it even more me I think the guy was on the uh, I'm pretty sure the guy was a member of the the you know Texas University of Texas football team the, the you know the the, the the horns the Longhorns and so yeah. this guy looks looks the part right and Huerta just high kicks him like a walk off head kick now what's my point with that. My point with that is not just the training. My point with that is a lot of people don't think that at nighttime, you have to understand, even if you're in a downtown area like where they were, there were street lights, right? If someone throws a high kick and someone is proficient, guess what, Noah? Guess what? Guess how quickly your eyes are going to be able to pick up that high quick high kick? Not very quick. Not very quick <laughs> your at all. Eyes, your eyes might not see that high kick at all. That guy probably never saw that high kick at all he didn't see any part of that high kick coming not only was it not in his consciousness right because this guy's probably not used to mma muay thai whatever so he's not even expecting it if it was broad daylight but with just the dim lights there and some you know some some street lights in the yonder that guy had not a prayer to pick up that high kick it wasn't now somebody who knows who watches all the video i do would be well aware hey if you're out here and somebody has quick hands or he throws a high kick and it's dark, even when you're trained, you're going to have trouble picking up the hands, right? Especially if they're fast hands or fast this. So you've got to account for that when you're in situations. You've got to account for, hey, 
What's the lighting like? Are your eyes going to pick that up? People, listen, when you're watching UFC and I'm watching UFC, they have more lighting than any place on earth. There's no place on earth where a That's a great point. I didn't think about that. Lighting than the UFC does, right? They, yeah. they pay a lot of money for that lighting right overhead. I mean, you know, now fighters still have trouble picking up punch. They're still play we used to have an old saying in, in the striking sports. The punch you don't see is the punch that'll knock you out. Guess what? The most elite fighters, there are times they don't see the punch. The punch is mm. that fast or they've been tricked or somebody distracted them with something else in the body, some kick somewhere else. They never saw the punch and then a referee breaks them up or 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 the ringside position like my buddy Dr. Dave Watson comes and has to put a flashlight in there and wake them up. They never saw it. And there's more lighting than you could than any other place on earth to see the punch. Now you're telling me in a parking lot or a street corner or a back alley, bro, you're not picking that punch up. So you have to be aware of that, right? So what my point is, since I've been growing up, I've been doing this stuff, paying attention to this stuff, just like Henry Gracie is doing with his Gracie breakdowns. You and I have talked about it. I'm all in. I, I love to do it. I enjoy it. I do it anyway. I spend time doing it anyway. I, we just don't film it. And I would say, as I said to you one time before, you know, the, the question might be raised, does the world need another MMA breakdown or fight breakdown or wrestling breakdown or whatever? Because um, there's been a lot more popping up. And there are some really good people, some really smart people. Don, Dom Cruz does it for ESPN. He does a good job, an old friend. But I would say that, you know, in the case of me, like I said, I'm, I'm grandfathered in. I'm like an OG in this in this sport. I've been doing this 34 years. I was doing it before there was any money in it. I was doing it. I was training jujitsu, wrestling, you know, working for UFC, covering UFC as a journalist when literally a lot of people thought we were crazy. They thought we were bloodthirsty. They thought we were, you know, we were just savages, um, you know, so. I was doing it when, when I was just doing it for nothing more than the pure love of it, than the, than, than the, than the self-revelation of it, right? And the, the self-growth of it, then the, the ventilation, the therapy, the, the meditation of it. I was doing it for the right reasons. So to quote, to paraphrase Conor McGregor, I apologize to absolutely no blank and booty for wanting to, to do this. And, and maybe we're the thousandth or 2000 people to do it, but it's what I've been doing a long time and it's what I enjoy doing. And I think it could, um, I think it would definitely uh, raise a lot of people's fight IQ to sit in on what do I see, not just in terms of the technique, but in terms of the body language, in terms of the alternatives, what could we, what could have been done in that situation to diffuse it, right? Other mistakes that are made, even sometimes Noah, this is when people are going to get better if you're out there and you're training jujitsu, you're training wrestling, you're training MMA, you're training boxing, training, training Muay Thai. If you want to get better, you alluded to this earlier, though. We can get a lot better at rock bottom, right? Because at rock bottom, life, God, spirit, whatever, whatever principles are governing this universe, they got our attention. I say that at my at my lowest points. I just, whatever is above us, I say, oh, you got me. You got my attention now on this one, right? Sometimes you don't want to listen and you just keep getting hit. And at some point, you're at rock bottom or you're on your knees and you're you're in a dark place and you're depressed and you're how do I get out of this and how how did I get here and the one beautiful thing about that is you know whatever it is above us whatever it is that can come help us you say hey you got my attention now <laughs> right we yeah. talk about pay attention all right mm -hmm. you buttered me up you loosened me up I'll listen to somebody other than myself now I'll listen to something else I'm open 
I'm open to change. I'm open to doing it different, right? And so I, I think that if you're going to be really smart in life, in the fight sports, you don't want to just learn, though, from our mistakes. That's beautiful. And that's where you're going to learn the most. Pain's a great teacher. Pain gets our attention. Pain grows us. The pain, the stress is a great growth facilitator. But can you be the person that's also winning, the front runner, and also learn? In other words, even the person that won the fight, that won the competition, that can look, go through your videotape or rewind in your brain and say, what could I have done differently? A real champion, a front runner, they say it's easier to win the title than keep the title. People that are going to keep the title and be and remain front runners and continue to grow the lead and continue to get better, you have to be willing to look also at what you when you won and be just as hungry to extract the lessons and the mistakes. Because Noah, I can say from my tournaments, the, the biggest victories of my life, when I watch the videotape, the TEDx speeches, when I watch tournaments that I won, I watch matches. I can sit there and I'm like, bro, there's 30, 40 things that jump out at me. And I'm like, ah, oh, can I get that one back? I want to do that better. And that's we ha that's hard because like you said, with intellectual laziness and things like that, a lot of times we get complacent. We have to not be complacent even when we're winning because life is full of ebbs and flows. And sometimes we're paying attention. We're learning on the downside. And on the upside, we're not as attentive. We're not as hungry to learn. We're not as hungry to watch the video. We're not as 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 dialed in for the mistakes and to fix the mistakes and there's always mistakes so one of the mistakes for street fight might be you know there's usually and we'll talk about this but there's usually opportunities to diffuse things that's one of the big things in martial arts too right it's like in general when somebody goes to fight in a street situation even if you win you lose because you, you know, you hurt another person, even to win. You put yourself at risk. Maybe you put other people at risk, your friends at risk. And you, something is short in us. Something is lacking in us. Something in our ego where there are so, usually many opportunities to diffuse things or at the very least have sized up the situation in advance and gotten ourselves out of there and swallowed our pride. So these are the kind of things that, you know, that we can walk through, that we can do with these breakdowns and show people what what we're seeing what i'm seeing and it's not just about the, the fight techniques it's about body language posture alternative outcomes opportunities to diffuse opportunities where someone's got ego got the best of themselves and breaking down you know taking a deeper dive into the to the ego things taking a deeper dive into even sometimes the legality of things like when you know a person might have a question like when am i allowed to fight back when am I you know, Frank, you? you know, Frank, um, I want to um, jump in here real quick and and um, yep. uh, and expand upon uh, the the format of of a video breakdown. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, close your eyes and now just think about looking at letters of text on a page and trying to extract from that information the amount of information you're going to get. That's just from that. Think about the amount of information you're getting just from hearing my voice through your ears and what's going to your, to your mind. Okay. Now open your eyes and look at how much information you get from your sight and what you see. And that's just your perspective. Frank, you have over three decades of experience in seeing, feeling, 
hearing, touching, going through fight, uh, through violence, through martial arts, through technique, as one of the earliest of the early in the United States of getting a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the amount of information in what you see and, and getting the richness of that from you and you sharing that is huge. You know, that's your perspective. You know, like my perspective, I've been around jujitsu for a decade and I've been a white belt and a blue belt most of that time, you know, often on the mat. I see things and I see very little, but you've been a black belt for a while. You've been training in the fight sports for a long time. You've been around, professionally been around the fight sports for such a long time around the pros. Um, so I can't wait to start seeing just the amount of information to come from you. And, and it's not just, I, I, I would assume it's not just what, uh, the, the volume of what you say, but it's what you don't say. You're going to get straight to, you know, to what is very unique in your perspective. You know, there's, there is obviously a body of knowledge out there today through other fight breakdown videos, through technique videos, there's all that. But what we don't have is, you know, an, your voice and what you have to say. And it's unique. It's a very unique one. You're as a writer, you learn, you learn to uh, first draft your work and then you edit and you pare down. You take down to its pure essence of what the, of what needs to be known. So I'm I look forward to this uh, this breakdown series from you. Um, it, you know, I've obviously I've got some technical things to do to uh, to get it ready. Um, but I've now really really quick because I'm you know I'm getting ready to go on a beautiful bike ride here in Utah. I get away for that, that two and a half hours, three hours that yeah. we talked about that should be sacred to people carving out couple hours of your day that are just sacred where you're just emptying the vessel you're letting go and you're just you're just one with your mind with quietude with serenity even a big mouth like me who likes to talk got to turn off but anyway really quick frankie egger fog congratulations to frankie egger on the big win yesterday i think he was a two and a half i think he was almost a three to one underdog a lot of people counted him out he's 38 um i just want to say a couple things i do have any i have two interesting one little thing to point out about frankie that's interesting and then I have a story. I have a Frankie Edgar story. So, um, first of all, Frankie Edgar, one of the, if, if I had to define him in a couple words, I would define Frankie Edgar as take the stairs. Three words, take the stairs. Because mm. I remember he used to say, like, wherever he was, it was like if he's at a mall, if he's, at a, if he's entering UFC before a fight, he's always going to take the stairs. He's never the guy to take the elevator and just, you know, coast up and the elevator takes you up. He's not that guy. He said it in one of the stories. Uh, I think my colleague at UFC, Tom Gervasi, wrote, it's like, take the stairs. That's a very Frankie. It's like the lunch pail. That guy is a take the stairs athlete. You're, he's, he's not going to stop. He's got great cardio. As big of a heart as anybody I've ever seen, he's been in probably more wars. I don't think I've ever seen a, a MMA fighter in more wars. I don't think I have. I mean, maybe Shogun Hua. Maybe, you know, is, is, is up there, too, in terms of, like, a guy that took a lick and kept on ticking. Like, a guy that just, you know, you, you thought he was finished in fights, and he just pops up. He's like, like kind of like Tyson Fury versus the first fight versus Deontay Wilder, where, like, Tyson Fury seems like he's dead, right? He falls, he hits the ground, and it's like, 
miraculously at the eight count. Now, that was a long count, by the way. The referee got away with one there. But anyway, how Tyson Fury got off the canvas and regained his wits and, and got a draw in that first fight is pretty amazing. But Frankie Edgar is every bit that. And I want to. So the, uh, my Frankie Edgar story is this there was a fight we had at UFC, I believe it was at the Palms. We did a fight night. And Frankie was there. I don't think he was fighting. He was backstage with some people. And so I was there and I was talking to him. And, uh, you know, he was sitting down. He was sitting down like I am now. And and he was, like, sitting against a, a, a wall. And so I was talking to him. I was standing up. I was dressed in, like, a suit and everything. You know? and, and so as I was leaving him, I just I was just messing with him a little bit. We were kind of play playful bantering. I never trained with him or whatever. But, you know, I was just talking to him. And then as we were leaving, I turned and I looked at him. And I said, you know what, Frankie? You'd make a – he was fighting at 155 pounds back then, right? He was the smallest – him and Jens Pulver are the smallest 155-pound fighters ever, you know, in UFC. You know, they, maybe there's a couple of Asian fighters out there, but uh, Jens Pulver and and uh, Frankie Edgar are the smallest 150. These 155-pounders. I used to train with Gray Maynard, Evan Dunham, Tyson Griffin. All those guys are 180, 184, 185, cutting down to 155. They're huge. They're mm. not, you know. I used to tell Drysdale. Bro, they're not my weight. These guys are 180 pounds, 185 pounds. And, like, they were my group. They were my three- and four-man group was Tyson Griffin, Evan Dunham, and uh, Gray Maynard. And anyway, so Frankie was fighting at 155. Of course, he was the champion there. He had that that great uh, what, two fights or three fights with Gray Maynard, who was a training partner. And so as I was talking to Frankie and I got up to leave and I, and I walked away and I turned around and I looked at him. He was, he was sitting down against the wall. And I said, you know what, Frankie? You'd make a great 135-pounder. I said that to him. I said, you'd make a great, you know what, Frankie? You'd make a great 135-pounder. Bro, I turn around and I start walking away, and he chucks this water bottle at me. He chucked the water bottle. It didn't hit me. It hit the wall. But he threw a water bottle at me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I was thinking of that, like, he really didn't like that comment, right? So he was fighting at 155. He was fighting at 155. Going down a weight class would have been 45, but I looked at him and I said, no, bro. I said, <laughs> he's just talking. 35. He threw this water bottle, little mini water bottle. And he yeah. didn't throw it like Conor McGregor, right? He didn't throw it in the in the same like Conor McGregor throwing it at a press conference at Diaz Brothers. He didn't throw it like that, but he threw it with a little more momentum than I would have thought, right? I, you know, a little more like, whoa, you know, what's up? He, he didn't like, he, he didn't like that. You could tell. And then fast forward to now. What's Frankie Edgar doing? He's fighting at 135, and I feel like a prophet now. I was like, I'm, I'm a prophet. And next time I see Frankie Edgar, I'm going to tell him, do you remember one day I said to you, you know you'd make a good 35 pound. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, we didn't get to all the topics as usual. Um, I wanted to get into some other stuff as well. Uh, but this was a this was pretty action-packed. Uh, Jordan texted me that he uh, was uh, – in- wrapped up with helping someone move which priorities you know when a friend asks for help you go help them you know i mean podcast is great to be on um but you know you're there for your friends and so that's that's important and his training uh you know uh is obviously you know he's in now is his time you know he's he's in that era where you know he's got he's got time to uh to perform, to get out there as I do too. You know, I feel like I'm so young, 48 years young. Um, but you do it in a, you know, there's more, it's a, it's a richer game now at, you know, at 48. 
because uh, I balance it out with work, you know, with, uh, with, with family time, you know, um, you know, and, and there's a more richness, I believe, you know, it's with, you know, wine gets better with time. Uh, maybe I think jujitsu does too. Yeah. You know, I didn't, a lot of people don't know. I think I've said it before, but I didn't start jujitsu till I was 30. So that's, that's a really, that should be encouraging to a lot of people out there. You know, if you're not, I didn't start till I was 30. So the other thing is, and I have a phrase and I call it a Forzaism. Um, and I call it stay youngry, right? Youngry is the combination of young and <laughs> stay, stay youngry. Stay youngry. I, 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 I bought the domain for that too. So that's a Forza, Forza fit original. Stay youngry. So that, or hangry. You, you, you and I are staying youngry. Yeah. Or hangry. I, uh, don't be hangry. Yeah. Be youngry. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it's a good time today. I appreciate your time so much um, and, and your viewpoints. Um, let's... Uh, Let's let's meet again next week. All right, brother. And we, yeah, we will get we will get chopping and start churning out some of those breakdowns. And who knows? The breakdowns might wind up being uh, garnering even a lot more attention, which will then bring eyeballs. Hopefully, bring eyeballs to what we're doing here at Everyman BJJ. Um, to you know, just for for things that both on and off the mats, right? Just the just making sense of the experience of life on and off the mats to, to, to human optimization. Right. But, but it's interesting. These breakdowns might actually create the eyeballs and the audience, which then point Could people, be. Uh, True. more to the you know, so, you know, know, websites. Interesting, interesting to test that. Interesting to test that theory and see how that works. Well, I use Google analytics and uh, some other tools to uh, track uh, traffic and visitors. Um, right now, my my own business website, noahgreencpa.com, is um, I, I'm integrating some new tech new technology in it, so it's not it's not up to speed right now. Um, it's just so I can take you, you know I need uh, some better mechanisms to to receive data. You know, people to send me tax forms and 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 you know some confidential information. So I have to te- step back step back sometimes and uh, reengineer the website. Uh, for that, um, uh, have, yeah, yeah, have you, you been working on your? They say no. I've heard. I've heard some of my rich friends say, my well-to-do friends. I say financially rich because rich, rich can be a lot of different things, right? People can be rich in in different areas of their life, but in terms of material wealth, I've heard once you made your, you know, once you made that, once you made the millions, even if you lose them, you know how to, you know how to, you know how to do it. It's been done, so you, you, you know, no one can take that knowledge away, right? So you always have the chance to. Mm-hmm. Very true. To, you know, yep. To be, it's a to, grind. You, you can you can tap into your inner uh, Frankie Edgar, you know, or even Frankie Forza. I, I'm a pretty resilient dude too. So, but just That's tapping right. into your inner for, your inner Forza, your inner your inner Edgar, and uh, yeah, it's in you. So anyway, everybody out there, Noah, thank you so much. Get on with your family, and I'm gonna get on a cycle and get some sun on my skin. And sounds uh, good. Relax. Well, thank you very Bye. much, Frank. That's it for today's episode of Everyman BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Everyman BJJ every week, wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.